Greetings from Medford, Oregon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a few verses from the end of Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not known, have you not heard, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's ask God to bless us as we look at his word today. Our Father, we thank you that you are the everlasting God, and yet the one who has reached down to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and brought us to yourself. We thank you that you do give us strength in times of weakness, that we may run the race you have set before us and not be faint, and eventually you will bring us to our heavenly home. We thank you for your word and pray that you would bless that to our hearts as we consider a portion of it at this time. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at two verses in this chapter. In just a moment, I'm going to read for you the first 10 verses, but the verses we will look at will be verses 7 and 8, which are something of a parenthesis in the midst of that first section of the sixth chapter. In this chapter, Paul is concluding his very strong remarks to the churches of the, of the Galatian. Uh, some practical aspects to apply because one of the accusations against him was, Paul, your gospel tends to decrease moral living. It makes it difficult for us to have any desire to do what is right. So he wants to deal with that and respond to those accusations. Let me read for you then the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. <clears throat> Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, <clears throat> he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that shall he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. <clears throat> Little Billy knew he shouldn't do it, but it was just too much of a temptation. His mother would cut up a nice watermelon and put it in the icebox, and she said, Don't touch this. This is for later. Don't dare eat any of it. And then she left and went to, to do some shopping. Billy thought about that watermelon and finally reached in there, grabbed one piece, took it out in the backyard to the side of the house and really was enjoying it until suddenly 
His mother was returning sooner than he thought. What, was he, what would he do? Quickly wiped his mouth, took the watermelon and what was left of it, dug a hole in the ground, put it in there, covered it up with dirt. he just finished when his mother came around the side of the house and said, Billy, what are you doing? And he said, nothing. There was a little smile on her face, and she turned and walked back into the house, and Billy thought, aha, I got away with it. Some weeks later, his mother said, Billy, come out to the side of the house. I want to show you something. They went out there, and what was there by the side of the house? Well, she asked Billy, what is that? He said, watermelons. And there they were, watermelons and the watermelon vines. And at that moment, Billy knew he had been found out by the law of the harvest. What is the law of the harvest? Well, generally, it's set forth in the seventh verse. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that shall he also reap. Secular philosophers and professors are quite strong on absolute laws, physical laws. They say if you drive your car 100 miles into a wall, you're going to be killed. If you jump off a steep cliff, you're going to be killed. There are certain physical laws that have to do with that. Yet matters of right and wrong and questions about that, they seem to have no absolutes at all. You just do whatever you think is best for you. But why should not the creator of the physical laws also set into those his creation certain spiritual laws? And that's what we're going to look at today. The law of the harvest. We're talking about sowing, and of course we're not talking about needle and thread sowing. We're talking about throwing seed into the ground that it may grow. As Paul writes those first six verses, perhaps the idea of 1 Corinthians 9-11 was in his mind. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? This in turn would have prompted him to write the text that we're looking at today. Perhaps the Galatians had been fulfilling some of their practical aspects of things, but by and large, probably they were hoarding a lot instead of helping use what they had to help one another. And so he says, do not be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't be beguiled, deluded. Stop and think about this. This is very important because the deception in the Galatian churches was primarily from the false teachers, those false teachers who came in and were sowing wrong kinds of seed. In the first chapter of Galatians, Paul wrote, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul wanted no room for those false teachers. And he says here in the seventh verse, God is not mocked. You can't sneer at him. You can't treat him with contempt. Not just verbally, what we say, but our whole manner of life. You know, disobedience and hypocrisy. But Paul, wait a minute. Why, why such a concern? Why these words to us? And his answer would be, because of the law of the harvest. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. This is a theme of cause and effect. And the important word to notice here is the word that. It's emphasized in the Greek text. 
whatever a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. You put carrot seeds in the ground, carrots will grow. You plant corn, corn will grow. You put carnation seed in the ground, carnations will grow. You put rose seeds in the ground, roses will grow. And also, if you put watermelon seeds in the ground, watermelons will grow. A second important word here is the word reap, which means to harvest, to clear cut. What we have then is a multiplication of the seeds. For example, when you put a corn seed in the ground, it's not just one big, huge, giant corn seed that grows up. It's a multiplication of corn to a very large degree. So the law of the harvest is firm, it's constant, and it is regular and dependable. This is where modern science began to develop in a Christian context of a creation brought about by a sovereign God who placed certain laws in the universe. And on that basis, what we know as modern science was able to develop. But of course, Paul is not speaking here about physical laws, but about spiritual laws, spiritual principles. John MacArthur has written these words, The frustration and hopelessness of humanistic psychology, psychiatry, and counseling can be traced, among other things, to the refusal to consider the immutable spiritual law of sowing and reaping. So there's the principle of the law of the harvest. And as we apply it to ourselves, we must realize that day after day, year after year, we are sowing certain thoughts and speaking words and taking actions. And then we're reaping certain consequences and bad habits from those thoughts and actions and words. It's the law of the harvest. As we move into verse 8, we find that Paul speaks about the flesh against the, the spirit. It was the theme he had back in the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 23, where life there is pictured, pictured as a battleground between the flesh and the spirit. Here in verse 8, we have a field of property envisioned. And this first one is a field of the flesh, which is the negative application of the law of the harvest. Hear what he says. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Flesh would be man's worldly nature, born dead in sin, naturally selfish, filled with pride. Such is the flesh. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And we sow to our own flesh. Back in the fifth chapter, verses 19 through 21, Paul tells us what the works of the flesh are. They're evident, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But notice he goes on to say that as we sow this, as we pander and cuddle ourselves and live for the here and now, sowing to the flesh, 
We're going to reap corruption, reap ruin. At the very end of that 21st verse, after the listing those things, he says these words, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's a very serious matter. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. Lord Byron was an English literary genius in the 18th century. He sold his entire life to the flesh, admitting he was a wild, immoral, undisciplined man. At age 37, he wrote these words, My days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. The law of the harvest, the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. Let's have some examples of these. For example, examples in individuals like ourselves. Just a little lie, another lie, and soon a, soon a life dishonesty. A little bit of selfishness turning into a life of greed. Resentment turns into great bitterness. Impure thoughts, acts of immorality. Joking curses, profanity. A little bit of a temper, an anger problem. Coveting, stealing. Roughness, murder. Social drinking, drunkenness. Fun pills drug addiction, begin to miss worship services, now never go to worship. Hosea 8, 7, sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. Let's give some examples in societies how this law works negatively. Lawlessness, a great increase in the crime rate. Broken homes, delinquent children, Leniency, undisciplined youth. Relativity, relativity, no absolutes. Materialism, secularism. Criticizing the Bible, great ignorance of the Bible. Rejection of God's word. The theory of evolution. The result, we reap that man is only a machine in an impersonal universe. One abortion. Millions and millions of abortions. One generation hating God. The third, fourth, and fifth generations growing up hating God. Sow the wind. Weep the whirlwind. It's the law of the harvest. One question that's perennially before us, even believers as well as unbelievers, is why do the wicked prosper? And one answer is, because they sow to their flesh. The law of the harvest guarantees that as one seeks after the things of this world, those are the kinds of things they're going to receive. But of course, they're also going to reap such things as troubled consciences, hardened hearts, spiritual emptiness, and separation from God himself. 
Charles Swindoll has written, We reap precisely what we sow. If we sow sow a lifestyle that is more comfortable or easier or even happier, but is in direct disobedience to God's revealed word, we ultimately reap disaster. It may not come soon, but it will come. And when it does, no one will have to explain what it means to be holy, pure, under grace, or undefiled. When the bills come due, the wages of willful sin are fully paid. Well, Paul, you're right. That's a very negative application of the law of the harvest. We admit that mankind does have a huge problem. And we study the scriptures to understand that all men are under Adam's curse and are born rebellious sinners. The law of the harvest seems to be our doom. Where is there any possible hope? Paul, are you ridiculing us? Have you no words of encouragement? And Paul replies, well, of course I have. They're right before you. We've only considered the first half of verse 8. Look at the second half of verse 8. The positive application of the law of the harvest. He begins, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But, but, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's the second field, that of the Spirit, not of the flesh. Much emphasis has been placed on the Holy Spirit by Paul in the last couple of chapters, chapters 5 and 6, and even a little bit he alludes to the Holy Spirit in chapter number 4. I read for you a moment ago the works of the flesh. Now let's go back to Galatians 5, and this time reading verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How does a person then receive the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he goes on to say, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Paul uh, reflects upon that. And we're talking here then about the gospel, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, securing for us a salvation and enabling him to give us of his spirit. In John chapter 12, verse 24 Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was alluding not only to his death, but also to the power of his resurrection. Paul says earlier in Galatians at chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. By faith, I'm identified with him. And then in Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And there's the answer, the good news of the gospel. Not only are our sins forgiven, but also we have the blessing of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our hearts that enables us to begin sowing seed in the field of the Holy Spirit, not in the field of our flesh. Sowing to the Spirit means to set our mind upon Him, to walk by Him. It signifies concentrating on what will produce fruit, good spiritual fruit. It sees life as more important than mere secular material experiences that we have every day. Leon Morris was a, a wonderful Bible scholar from Australia, and he has written these words. Paul is reminding the Galatians that they should get their priorities right and give time and energy to that which concerns ultimate issues and not merely the passing of things here and now. There still also is the thought that believers here and now experience something of what that life will be. Their life in fellowship with God is a richer and fuller life than that of the worldly-minded or the worshiper of idols. A moment ago, we saw some examples of what it means to sow to the flesh. How about some examples of what it means to sow to the Spirit as the law of the harvest goes into effect? Well, first of all, there's a reversing of flesh sowing. We've all seen or participated in the tug of war. And for a while, one side begins to be winning over the other side until suddenly a strong, brawn individual steps forward and says, here, let me help. And the losing side now begins to win as the pull of the tug is reversed. And now it's going the other way to victory. That's what happens when one has the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The life is changed, and now the Spirit begins to influence the believer to go into the life of serving the Spirit and obeying the Lord. One begins with a very small amount of faith, and then it grows into greater faith. One begins with a very small knowledge of God in the Bible, but then as time goes by, he begins to reap more understanding of the Lord, more understanding of his word. Uh, just taking a stand for small purity and a life of holiness begins to develop. A taste of eternal life begins to develop more and more into a longing for the fullness of that eternal life that is to come. One perhaps who has never attended church begins to attend worship it's strange to him or her but then as he attends or she attends more and more they begin to attend regularly and are benefited from that so you see the positive application of the law of the harvest is that uh, families are saved nations become less corrupt and morality increases it's the law of the harvest same principle as applied to the law of the flesh. But there's quite a bit of difference between sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Over a century ago, a man named Samuel Smiles wrote, Sow a thought, reap an act. 
Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. How can we expect to sow to the Spirit if we're not sowing seed in the field of the Spirit? But a word of caution. Spirit sowing is not easy. It's more natural to sow to the flesh, isn't it? We find that quite easy to do. But sowing to the Spirit, a little more difficult. It takes hard work. It takes patience, just as a farmer planting his field out in, in planting a seed out in his field. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of patience. And that's true of a spiritual harvest as well. And so Paul goes on in verse 9. We're not going to look at this in depth, but I want to allude to verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I think verse 9 as well as verse 10 takes us back to verses 1 through 6. If we consider verses 7 and 8 as something of a parenthesis here. Paul reminds them of things like brotherly concern, bearing one another's burdens, giving financial support to your teachers. Doing good can become very weary. We try to practice over and over and over, and sometimes a person gets to the point, I think I've done enough. I, I, I just can't do any more of this. That's where we must not be impatient. And we can't rush the process either. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And verse 10 reminds us that we have a whole lifetime before us to do good. So then, as we have opportunity, and day after day we have opportunities to do good, don't we? Then let us do good to everyone, not just believers, but also unbelievers. But Paul goes on to say, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's only natural that we would do good things and be helpful to fellow believers. But as we have neighbors and we run across people in our daily life, we need to remember that they too need to be treated with respect and with kindness. Some cl closing remarks. First of all, does life often seem unfair and unjust? And I think we would all have to acknowledge that in a real sense, it is. And of course, that's because we are finite creatures still in our sinful predicament on this earth. Yet, life is more fair and more just than we might realize because of the law of the harvest. You are who you are today because of that law as it has operated in your life and also as it has operated in my life. So the question then is, what kinds of seeds are we sowing? In answering that question, the issue is not just what are you doing now, but in what direction are you going for your spirit's sowing? Are you really thinking that much about your future and how you need to honor the Lord with how you live? Above all, what is your relationship to Jesus Christ? 
You cannot have the Spirit unless you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to you in the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection for sinners like us. We scatter seeds with careless hands and dream we never shall see them more. But for a thousand years their fruit appears in weeds that mar the land or in healthful store. The deeds we do, the words we say, into still air they seem to fleet. We count them ever past, but they shall last. In the dread judgment, they and we shall meet. A very serious thought for unbelievers. But for believers, we need not fear that judgment because we rest in Christ and his righteousness clothes us in that dreadful time to come. Because the law of the harvest goes on and on. It's operating your life this very day and in my life. And so let us not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Join me in prayer. Our Father, you have spoken to us this day through this portion of your word. We are mindful of how often we have sowed to the flesh. But those of us who are your children know that the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells within us. And by his power, we are enabled to sow good seed, not only for ourselves and for our fellow believers, but even for those that do not know you. We pray you would bless your church this day as throughout the world your servants and your people are seeking to sow seed, the seed of the gospel of Jesus, in whose blessed name we pray. Amen. And now by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and ever. Amen.